You are listening to the Twibbly Podcast, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Comedy podcast looking back at This Week in History. You can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or wherever you like to get your podcasts from. You can find us and or message us over on Facebook and Instagram using TWWWBLY. Hey, welcome back to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. My name is Bill with one L. With me, a little dab will do him. It's Mr. <laughs> Jeff McLaughlin. <laughs> and dab of what? That's what I want to know. That's and, a... and what'll it do? <laughs> it's better than only one of us knows. Oh, all right. Well, fair enough. It's, it's definitely on a need-to-know basis, and I don't need to know. <laughs> That's right. What's going on? How are you? Ah, man, I'm good. It's been an interesting few weeks with some work, sure work stuff, and we had like, you know, as the world knows, we record this show weeks in advance. We had like two feet and change of snow last week, which is, it's all mostly melted now, but it's everything is gross. It's the part of the year where you go outside and you just go, Ugh. that's the noise you make, because it's not warm, it's not dry, it's not nice, it's just... All the snow is gray and brown and dirty and gross. I remember that. It was like people like will post on social media and they'll be like, oh, I thought we, because we didn't get any snow down here. Right, right. Like, oh, I thought we were supposed to get snow. And I was like, hey, you know, if you're so into working, you know, if you're disappointed that you don't have to go out and bust your back and sweat in 28 degree weather, you can come by later, you know. Yeah. Come by in a couple of weeks. You can mow my lawn, wash yeah. my car. Yeah, you can go come up north. Come 100 miles north. You can shovel my driveway out. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Ugh. Here in New Hampshire, we have state-owned liquor stores. We don't have package stores that are owned by private companies. So they do see an uptick in use, I think, during this time of year because it's so dreary and <laughs> blah. Yeah. How are you doing? How am I doing? Spring is on its way. I'm getting excited about all that stuff because... In Twibbly time, we are minutes away from it being May, and that means all sorts of good things. That means that I'll be definitely on my bike a lot more, definitely on my unicycle a lot more. I'm going back up to Canada soon. Going to go see the Marillion concerts up there. Going to go out to Summer Isle and sing around the Maypole with all the, the naked witches so that the apples grow into the, you know, doing that this year. You're not going to do the, the Wicker Man thing. Do you have like a... <laughs> Carbon monoxide leak in your house? What are you talking about? <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, I always think of when I, you mentioned in May, or when I think of May, I think of the Maypole scenes in the movie The Wicker Man. No, I I just think of like every April 30th, everybody on the internet thinks they're hilarious with their NSYNC memes. It's going to be May. I don't even know what that means, so I haven't seen those. Really? I yes. should be so lucky. <laughs> uh, there's, there's a song uh, by NSYNC where I, I the lyric I don't know if that's the name of the song I'm you know I'm not a boy band right. person but the lyric is it's gonna be me but the way Justin Timberlake says it it sounds like he says it's going to be May oh so on April 30th everybody or you know in the week leading up everybody starts posting pictures of Justin Timberlake because it's going to be May oh yeah and it's like one of those things where it's kind of taken over like. May the fourth be with you. Some years ago, everybody yeah, was like, hey, yeah. May the I still, be with I, you. I still do that, and I feel bad every time I do that on the fourth. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm one of the gang. I'm one of the crowd now. I'm much like everybody yeah, else. Well, but it's come full circle. Like a bunch of people were started doing it and thought they were cute, and then it was like, all right, okay, I get it. May the fourth be with you. But now it's like become such a part of like pop culture right. that it's like, yes. May the 4th. It's Star Wars Day. And, uh, and the next day is I'm Re- all about Revenge it. of the 5th. <laughs> uh, yeah, Revenge of the 5th. And then you can make an argument for Revenge of the 6th as well, because 6th right. kind of sounds like Sith, if you're saying it wrong. It does. It's so does 5th. <laughs> all right. So before we get the show started, I do have my very popular and always well-received trivia question. Hey, Jeff. Mr. Potato Head. That's my answer. No. <laughs> I'm ready, Bill. All right. So uh, if you remember, a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about 
couple of weeks, a couple of months ago, we were talking about the, for whatever reason, the resurgence in popularity of the mullet, the... Uh, yes, uh, the most accursed hairstyle, up. yes. Yeah, business in the front, party in the back, haircut. Yes. And it's a resurgence in popularity. Now, the term mullet did not... Uh, happened when mullets were in fashion. As a matter of fact, it got named whenever they became out of fashion in the early 90s. Right. So what is the etymology of the word mullet uh, for the haircut? Ooh, uh, well, I guess at the end of the show, we'll, we'll learn that together, Bill. It'll be a learning yeah. experience for you and me. Sure. I already know it. <laughs> It'll be a learning experience for me then. <laughs> it's going to be a learning experience for... Some of our listeners. We're all in this together. All right. But this is the week beginning, April the 24th, and it is your turn to start, you mullet. Oh, excellent. April 24th, 1990. NASA launches the Hubble Space Telescope into orbit around planet Earth. And it is the most sophisticated piece of science equipment fired into space. And due to uh, imperfection in the mirrors, it never delivers the kind of clarity that it was designed to deliver. Uh-huh. when it beams back photographs of distant galaxies and stuff. But it is still leagues and leagues above uh, anything that had been put up to space until that time. Right. I remember, like, it, I mean, now it's kind of like old tech, you know, that's 30-some-odd uh, years ago yeah. now. Yes. But but whatever went up at the time, the Hubble, you know, it's sending back all these pictures of stuff we'd never got pictures of before, like Pluto and stuff. Like, right. Wow. I mean, by today's standards, yeah, it's pretty low tech. But then again, so are video games. So well, are everything. I, technology I mean, moves. I don't know that it's low tech. I just mean that the technology to make the mirror, to grind the mirrors has improved considerably since 30 years ago. So, and yeah. electronics have become smaller and digital processing has become faster. So all of these implementations of technology have improved and that makes for a, a, a better telescope right now. I think what's the one, the, is it the Gamma Ray Telescope? I can't remember the name of the one that they put up a couple of years back that started taking glorious pictures of super distant black holes and things. But that, oh, right. yeah. that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for the Hubble. And the Hubble's an interesting device in that in its history, it got a ton of spacewalks to go up and try and like address the mirror issues with things like software updates, physical touching and other stuff. And at one point, a bottle of Windex and some paper towel. Right. <laughs> squeak, 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 squeak. <laughs> well, it was on one of, I think it was the very first mission that they went up to, they opened up the side to the service panel and went in and did work. And the radiation from the sun that was hitting the inside of the panel made the doors swell from uh-huh. heat expansion and they couldn't close them. They wouldn't latch. They ended up doing to solve the problem is one of the astronauts said, I have just the thing. And they had, they used a simple ratchet come along, a canvas belt with a ratchet latch to slowly click its way <laughs> to, to, to slowly close the door and have enough force to close the two doors to close the service compartment to the Hubble Space Telescope. <laughs> and I think they left the come along on it in case they had to go back up and open it up again. Then they would have the solution to how to close it. Oh, I'm going to have to like reverse engineer that into my bedroom in the summertime because the humidity from just the air itself and the air conditioner makes my door swell. And then like I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night and I can't get the damn door open. Oh. So it's just, <laughs> it's just the opposite problem. So, yeah, what you do is you come along around the door handle and the other one to the window latch. And then you doink and then the door will pop open for you. Or we Science. can just come on along and listen to the lullaby of Broadway. All right. Uh, speaking of technology that moves quickly, April the 25th, 1954, Bell Labs announces the first solar battery made from silicon. Oh. And it has about 6% efficiency. Oh. And uh, yeah, which that's not a lot. Oh. And solar power has come a long way. I think we're up to about... 8% efficiency. <laughs> 8.2 at last. No, it's pretty amazing that the material to convert sunlight into electricity, it's not that young. It's almost 100 years old now, considering the yep. year that we're in. But it required a tremendous amount of engineering to make it work. And it's been refined to the point where you can almost power a standard size home using nothing but solar power and batteries. Almost. Right. Yeah, just about. My brother has solar panels on his house, and I think he says he pays like 
I don't know, five dollars a right. month, right? In electric, I have, like I said last year, and I'm planning on doing it again this year. Is I have that battery mm-hmm. with the solar panel on it, and yep. I power my electric lawnmower with it. I the whole summer I mowed my lawn with nothing but solar power. Well, you know, during the snowstorm that I just mentioned we had last week, we lost power for you know seven or eight hours that day, and I alternated wow, much, between huh? yeah, I alternated between you know, holding my little solar powered emergency radio up to the window for 10 minutes to get enough electricity in it so that I could turn it on. And then the solar power would keep it running so I could listen to, you know, ACDC on Rock 101 every four (laughs) hours. Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck. Thunderstruck and you shook me all night long. It's the block of ACDC on this snowy, snowy Tuesday. But yeah, and that's, that's how I kept it running. I've had that little clock radio for, I mean, that little radio for something like 15 years now and it still works just fine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I have a little solar powered. It's got like three panels on it. Mm-hmm. Battery backup for my phone, which works when it wants to. <laughs> yep. Uh, that solar panel on it is probably about 6% efficiency too. Oh. But we are, you know, we're moving in that direction. There's, I mean, the sun's right there, dudes. You know, there's no reason why we shouldn't be using it. What's kind of cool is like there's enough electronics now that are built in that you can capitalize on the amount of energy that you generate based on the amount of time that you have access to the best parts of the day. So some of my neighbors have very modern, you know, recently put up within the last year or two solar panels. And like your brother, they're, they're generating almost enough energy that during the summer months, they're putting it back into the grid and it's offsetting the cost in the colder months where they have less sun exposure and generate considerably right. less electricity so that it comes out to like near zero in usage cost. It's really, really clever technology. All right, let's move on to the 26th. April 26th, less clever than solar, but far better as far as action movies go. 1954, the film Seven Samurai, directed by Akira Kurosawa, and my favorite movie, is released. And it stars Toshiro Mufune and is a fantastic film. Have you ever seen that movie, Bill? Seven Samurai. I can honestly say I have never seen it. I'm not even sure I've ever heard of it. I mean, it sounds it sounds like something like that's in the, the vernacular kind of a deal, but I don't know. I don't know anything about it. So, funny you should mention that because this movie's been remade in different genres a bunch of times. So it was, okay. it was it was made in, in by Preston Sturgis in the 1960s as the Magnificent Seven, starring Yul Brenner, which won a cat couple of Academy oh, yeah, Awards. Yeah. yeah, I know that they just remade that recently too. They did, and the remake isn't as good as the original. And uh, but like again, I love the way the story works, so it doesn't matter. I saw uh-huh. watched that movie on a plane and it was like, yes, finally something good to watch on a plane. Um, all right, so the Magnificent Seven is the same as... All right, it's like the American version of The Seven Samurai. Yes. Okay. So when Akira Kurosawa put the film together, he wanted to make the equivalent of like a John Ford Western. But okay. he wanted to make it accessible to Japanese audiences in the 1950s. So he set it in Edo, Japan, or pre-dynastic Japan, right? So it's, it's, okay. what is, it's a village that gets overrun by bandits, and they don't have enough food to buy a bunch of swords to try to defend themselves. So they hire a bunch of hungry samurai to defend them instead. And it's an action movie. It's It has all of the hallmarks of a modern action movie, but it was done in 1954. If you watch it, okay. it goes really here's, fast. Here's where I'm going to sound like a, an idiot. Isn't that a bug's life as it well? Is. Yes, that was a remake of The Seven <laughs> Samurai. So was Battle Beyond the Stars. Do you remember Battle Beyond the Stars with John Boy Walton from the Waltons? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, same story. He goes to find a bunch of people oh, okay. to defend the planet from the father from Nightmare on Elm Street. That's how good I am at remembering actors' names from that time period. <laughs> it's, that with the, it's that movie with the guy. He was in another movie with the he other was, guy. He's yeah. like, anyway, he was the one that wore the clothes with the shirt on. You yeah. know? Remember that? <laughs> yeah, he said stuff. Um, but yeah, All so right. it's, well, it's I have, super duper influential. I haven't seen it, but yes, I have seen it. You, yes, you have seen it. It's one of those you don't know you have until you've seen it. It's been done a bunch of times because it's such a good idea for a story. Next time you come to visit, I'll, I'll put it on for you. I have it on Blu-ray. Okay. All right. Moving on to the 27th, April the 27th, 1981, Xerox PARC introduces the computer mouse. And life has been much different since then. It's true. Uh Park was Park was is the Palo Alto Research Center, and that's where Xerox's okay. uh, research headquarters were in California. 
And okay. it was there that they effectively invented networked computers that weren't client server based. They were the first computers that had a visual graphical user interface that people could use to navigate around. So you didn't have to, if you remember your Commodore VIC-20 or Commodore 64, if you wanted to do yep. word processing, you have to put in a disk and type in C colon backslash word, pro word processor, then wait for it to load. And then the word processor would yep. load and you'd use that. Here you could just click on the word processor and it would load automatically. It had a hard drive. Yeah, I remember the first, like, I think the first time I'd seen like Windows, what, 3.1 or something like mm -hmm. that. Yep. And you use the mouse with the cursor with the little arrow that, you know, that's still in something that we use today. Yes. But it was like magic. It was like, look, ooh, it moved. You move with your hand, it moves on the screen, and then you hit this button. The original mouse, it wasn't more like a mouse. It was more like a rodent of some sort because it was huge it was big and clunky and square remember yeah the, i've seen the prototype which was made of wood it had like a metal clicky button on the top of it yep but it still did the job and it changed the way that people interface with computers and the, the first company that really capitalized on it wasn't xerox they didn't care about it they were it was a proof of concept for them but it was apple when the macintosh uh -huh. computer was released that was the first commercially available computer with a computer mouse attached to it that right. didn't have an overlay on the operating system where it was fully integrated. And then Windows 3.1 came out not long after that, uh, after they had had a, a graphical user interface that imposed over DOS, which is how I learned how to use a Microsoft-based PC mm -hmm. compatible back when I was in college. The olden days, Bill. I, um, when dinosaurs ruled the earth. Like when we first started using computers, you know, at home and stuff like that, I remember the mouse had like the trackball at the bottom, remember? Yeah, yeah, I hated cleaning those things, but yes, yes, yeah. I do. And then you had to have a mouse pad. Yeah. That was like something you had to have. If you had a mouse, you had to have a mouse pad because the trackball had to roll around on it. Right. Now all the mice are like, you know, they get the little, like, you know, laser at the bottom. They're super accurate as right. opposed to what it used to be with the ball. Right. And you don't necessarily need a mouse pad, but I still have one because it's more for like aesthetics. Well, it depends on what the desktop is made of. So if your desk, if you have a glass desk, you'll need a mouse pad. Yeah. Or because your mouse won't, oh, yeah, yeah. won't work. That makes but sense. yeah, it's one of those right. you need to have something opaque for it to bounce off of. But yes. Do you, uh, have, just, do you have a mouse pad? I have a mouse pad on my, one of my computer desks because it has a glass top. What's the graphic? It's just black. No graphics. Oh, you're so boring. Mine's a Ouija board. I used to have a good like Keith Haring one, but I don't. That one wasn't good for laser mice because of the. It was like a glossy, plastic top on top of the mouse pads. It would make the mouse inaccurate. It was only good I for. I see your for mouse has the same taste in art that I do because I hate stand <laughs> Keith Haring. I thought it was cool and I liked the colors. All right, let's go on to the 28th. April 28th, 1887, the very first automobile race is run in France, and it's won by a French engineer named Georges Bouton. According to my notes over here, he was the only person in that race. He also lost the race. He was also <laughs> the race of the loser. So yeah, he won and lost he the race. He won and yeah, lost, okay. yes. It, it was organized by a French cycling magazine. Automobiles had just become things that people were experimenting with in 1887. This is I don't know if this right. one was electric or if it was steam-powered. I think it was steam-powered. It was steam-powered, yeah. And it went... 1.2 miles. <whistles> Flying. Just uh, because it's in France, that was two kilometers. Two kilometers, yes. Amazing to think that like 10 years and one day later, another French or Belgian guy would do 65 miles an hour in an electric vehicle in 1897. But we'll stay focused on our little steamy friend here to both yeah. run the race, win the race, and lose the race all at the same time. He also cheered for himself, so he was also his own audience. And uh, I'm looking at the automobile over here. It's a three-wheeler. It's got two in the front and one in the back. Yep. The big steam-powered engine, like, in the front. This thing must have been so freaking loud. <laughs> and slow. Can you imagine, like, we talk about, like, changing technologies yep. and, you know, the generations before. Like, they never seem to understand that when there's a new invention that it's going to get better. Like, solar panels, like we were just talking about, when they first started out, it was like, oh, ha, ha, ha. And, and there's still a lot of holdouts. I'm a holdout. I don't want to put it on my house just yet. Right. But the technology advances so fast. So you look at this automobile and i bet you in 1887 the people that see this guy racing himself and thinking he's a, a nut job they're like i could run faster than this guy right you know 
Yeah. But it wasn't long before, I mean, just look at cars of, you know, 10, 20, 30 years later. I always have end up in this discussion with people who are like poo-pooing electric cars when they post pictures of like an electric car being charged by a diesel generator on the side of the road because its battery was depleted. It didn't have right. a place to charge. It's like, yeah, well, the infrastructure to charge that car doesn't exist enough yet. Just like right. the first gasoline cars. Like, you ran out of gas, you had to go find somebody with a horse to take you someplace where they had gasoline so you could come back and get your car started again. Like, eventually right. the infrastructure will catch up with the technology. You got to give it time. Right. And the technology will expand where you won't need to charge it as much right. as often. Exactly. Right. Yes. And then you step on like really efficient solar panels on that, Bubby, and we're good. That's right. All right. So April 29th, 1852. Hey, Jeff, do you know what you call a dinosaur with a really, really good vocabulary? Uh, a thesaurus. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, what's another, wor- wor- uh, what's another word for a book full of words that aren't uh, defined? Yeah, that's, that's exactly. Our, our good friend uh, Peter Marc Roger publishes his thesaurus. Uh, the original edition contained about 15,000 words, and he was working on it for about 50 years before he published it. Well, he was probably trying to find a couple of synonyms for apple. He's trying to find a synonym for synonym. A synonym for halcyon days. And dragging us back into <laughs> last week's conversation about my expensive vocabulary. Uh, I actually have uh, Roger's Thesaurus upstairs. I've had one for years and years and years and years and years and years, and I use it surprisingly often. I'm sure that comes as no surprise to anyone. So, like you are kind of a bit of a word nerd. Your friend Bill over here is a bit of a math nerd, as uh, we've discussed. Yes. So, if this book had 15,000 words stretched out over 50 years, that is roughly 300 words a year, or just for, you know, for quick math, about a word a day yep. for 50 years mm-hmm. that he, like, wrote down and then took two months off because he, I don't know, maybe he was from <laughs> France. I cannot find another word for frustrated. Uh, let me think. Is it uh, irritated? No, that is not the same. Uh, what is another word for former? Let me call <laughs> Jeff, see if he remembers. Let's see if he remembers. Uh, so how would we say, I am bored with writing this book without saying it entirely <laughs> in this way? Yes. I'd rather write the dictionary, but someone's already done that. So uh, wrapping up the week, what do we got? April 30th, 1989. The World Wide Web, or the domain www, is first launched into the public domain by the scientist Tim Berners-Lee, who works at the CERN Laboratories. Yeah. So that's like going back to like very, very early. Uh, in, what year did you say it was? 1989. Okay, so uh, that's like you know the very beginning of the internet. Yes. Not not then. I mean, I, we were still in like the bulletin board services as far as like uh, home computers go. Right. But like in later on, it was only like probably like five years later that the web, as we call it, we all nicknamed that. Remember? Hey, are you on the web? Remember saying that to your I, friends? I do. Stuff? Are you on the web? Do you remember when yep. when browsers were called web crawlers before they were called browsers? Yes. Yeah, I do remember that. Right. And I always thought it was kind of interesting that WWW takes exactly three times as long to say as what it's short for. <laughs> can I give a brief description of why it was different than what came before? I can do it in a metaphor, Bill. Are you ready? If you can do it in terms that I will understand, never sure. mind the audience, me. The way it was before was like this. If you went to a bookstore, I'm going to give you this as a metaphor now. You go to a bookstore to yep. buy a book right? And you like yep. science fiction books, so you have to go to a science fiction bookstore. So you go driving your car, <laughs> your little gray Honda, all the way to the science fiction bookstore, and you open the door, and you go into the bookstore, and you find the book that you want, and you read the book for a while, yep. and then you decide to buy the book, and you go home. That's like you going to a book. Can we make it horror? Yeah. Yes, horror books. Sorry, fine. Okay. Um, but if you want a horror book, you have to go to another store, different bulletin board. You have to dial a different number. It has a different yes. address that you have to log out and then manually log into. There's no directory. You learn it right. through other people or through magazines or through contacts, right? Right. I remember that back in the bulletin board services. There was like three or f- sometimes four in this area that I would go and check out. And, you know, you'd call one and then hang up on that one and call up another one. Right. right? So let's say we'll carry our book metaphor one more thing. You also want pizza. So you have to go to a pizza place to get a slice of pizza. So you got to get back in your car, drive somewhere else. In this case, for the metaphor, drive home, drop off your book, get back in your car, drive to the pizza place and eat your pizza, right? What the World Wide Web does is it takes all those things 
and it creates a directory of them all under the same address scheme. So that if you want to go find pizza, you can type in www.pizza.com and rather than having to get in your car and go to the address, it'll tell you what the address is already and where the book is in the store. And it'll give you access to oh, the okay. book in the store in one place. And you can stay in there right. and you can go type in www.pizza.com and it'll take you to the pizza place without you having to know where anything is. You don't have to have that specialized knowledge to find the bulletin boards that you're looking for because using this address scheme, as long as there's an index of names, you can find it in a way that makes it easy. Standard internet address is like 192.168.0.1. It's a private IP address for inside of your own network. But those three numbers and then that, what other those, those suffix, two sets of suffix numbers are, it's like a house address for your house. And it identifies something that is attached to www.whateveryournameis.com. So as long as you can type in www.whateveryournameis.com, you'll find the digital location of where that information is stored on the web, like all in one place. So it's like a giant phone book that you have instant access to. I still want pizza. Uh, while you were talking, <laughs> yes. while you were talking, I typed in www.pizza.com, and that is not an active domain name. You think it would be, but it's not. Does, it, does somebody offer to sell it to you? Is it like GoDaddy? No, it just is. No, it's just dead. Oh. And also, I went to hellnight.org, which is a uh, web domain that I owned back in the 90s for my band. Mm -hmm. And now it has been bought out by a haunted house, oh, actually. Well, there you go. So you should write back to him and say, but, like, hey, you're squatting. Oh, hold on. No, this is one of those Christian haunted houses. Oh. Yeah, where they show you, like... This is what your life is going to look like, you heathen pregnant teenager. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the celebrity birthdays. April the 24th, 1914, an American producer and director, William Castle. Oh, yeah. Whose name you may not uh, recognize, but you'll recognize what he did in cinema. He directed The Tingler, among other films. Yeah. <laughs> in, Probably uh, best known for The Tingler. In Shockorama or something. Yes. What it was was there were vibrators placed under certain seats in the cinema. Hey, when, hey, 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 hey. And when certain scenes of the film happened, they turned them all on and ah, everybody jumped because, oh, my God, the little monster was crawling yep. over your, your, your backside or whatever. Um, and, yeah, and, so William Castle was like the godfather, the grandfather, the big daddy-o of uh, gimmick movies. Yes. So, like you were just saying, the movie Tingler had motors hooked up to the seats so that when there was something, uh, you know, shocking, so to speak, yes. on the screen, at the same time, the seats would vibrate and people thought that they were getting shocked. Yes. And there was other movies, too, where, like, a skeleton, when it flew across the screen, there was a live, not live, because skeletons aren't alive, but, like, a, a big model skeleton that was on a zip line that yeah. went through the theater, theater yeah. there was all sorts of stuff like that yeah all kinds of crazy gimmicks and he would do stuff like have employees who were dressed as nurses and make people sign waivers that they wouldn't sue if they died of fright he gave out masks right. and surgical masks and other stuff and all these gimmicks have been done in other films much more recently than this but he was the guy that really made it a part of the show and the films were right. super cheap. Most of them starred like Vincent Price, if they were lucky to have enough money to get him, or Dollar yeah. Store Vincent Price when they couldn't. And obviously those movies, you know, we're talking 50s and 60s for those movies. Yeah, there, there was no home video no. kind of a deal because those movies certainly don't work without the gimmicks. They well, don't. Well, they do, but they don't work as well. No, we'll, we'll no say they're, just like like a, they're just like a super cheap OB movie. It's like watching a 3D mm -hmm. film from that time period without the glasses. It's like, all right. <laughs> okay. Oh, look, it's a paddleboard. And then you go back to the film. All right, moving on. April 25th, 1964. Character and voice actor Hank Azaria, who's probably best known, at least in live action, for playing the animal in 1994's Godzilla, the cameraman. That was him. Probably best known for Run, Fat Boy, Run. He was also in The Birdcage. And yes, he does... A ton of voices on The Simpsons. So he does Moe, Chief Wiggum, Apu, Comic Book Guy, Carl Carlson, and he's done other, you know, fill-in voices for that show as well, as well as on other programs too. I remember somebody saying to me one time, they go, you know who you look like? You look like Hank Azaria. And I was like, no, I don't. Oh, kind of, wait, yeah, I kind of do, actually, a little bit. You do. Uh, different hair and maybe when we were both a little bit younger, but yeah. Yeah, yeah he's got a slightly different shaped head than you do. His is more... Like weirdly pill shaped, and yours is a little less 
pill shaped and more round. But <laughs> Mine's more bill shaped. Yeah. I always liked his work on The Simpsons. Some of my favorite characters are the characters that he voices. Uh, and I know a lot of people are super big fans of the movie Mystery Men. Yeah, oh, yeah, that that's right. Well. Yeah. Yep. Blue Raja. All right, moving on to the 26th, April the 26th, 1933, American comedian and at one time American sweetheart, Carol Burnett. Oh. I am quite sure, young Jeff, that your family, much like my family, sat around on whatever night that tended to be to watch the Carol Burnett show. I watched it in syndication. I watched it in reruns. I didn't watch it when it was oh, first no, on. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. no. That was like what my both of my parents, like... That was one of those shows that both of them agreed on. Mm-hmm. You know, not everybody's family watches. Well, back then it was, you know, television was much different. But like, you know, my father may have liked one show. My mother really cared for like other shows. And mm-hmm. obviously we, the kids, we like different shows. But the one thing that everybody in this house agreed on was Carol Burnett. Everybody loved it. I watched it in rerun earlier in the evening. Because when it reran, at least where we lived, it was like on at six or seven o'clock at night. And that was oh. that was when I watched it when I was uh, in my early teens. You my know, something years and early I teens. may be having like a weird false memory that maybe we were watching it in syndication. It's <laughs> entirely know. possible. I do remember watching it, and I do remember my parents being ba- both big fans. For the, our younger members of the audience, the Carol Burnett show may very well have been, if not the first, one of the first or one of the early ones of sketch comedy shows. It's definitely in the same sort of vein as Laughing, which came a little bit before right. it, I think. Yeah, I think Laughing was first. Now that I talk out loud, yeah. But- but it was way closer to laughing than it was to like the Sonny and Cher show, which was on, uh, I think, a little closer to when Carol Burnett stopped being on into uh-huh. sort of straight variety. Because there was some variety elements, I think, in their show as well. But it was, they were super limited. It was like, yeah, I, I remember it as more like sketch comedy. As we discussed many times on this show, the 1970s were all about variety shows. Yes. Carol Burnett, one thing that she used to do at the end of every show is she used to tug on her ear. Mm-hmm. That was a signal, like uh, like saying "I love you" to her mom. I think it meant. Oh, that's very cool. Well, I remember it yeah. was really Did funny. Have- Tim Conway was my favorite comedian at the time, and I always thought Harvey Corman was obnoxious. I think he's way funnier now as an adult than I did when I was a kid. But I yeah, like, he always I played loved, a bit of a dick. Right? I yeah. loved Tim Conway when I was a kid. He was the funniest thing on American comedy TV for me at that time. All right, moving on to the next day. Well, the next day, Bill, is a long-distance dedication from all the way back in 1932. A young man named Casey Kasem was born to his parents. I don't know what their names were. He always called them Mom and Dad. And this is for you, Casey. So American Disc Jockey and the voice in my childhood of at least 18 years of American Top 40 and also the voice of Robin and the voice of multiple characters on, like, Scooby-Doo is Casey Yeah, he was Kasem. the voice of Shaggy. He was the voice of Shaggy, yeah. Is Casey Kasem. He was a radio personality, and he was also a voice actor. He's the weird guy that I can hear anywhere and know, that's Casey Kasem. The blackest hair known to man, too. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if he used just for men or if he used quick shoe polish, but he used something. <laughs> very, very black. I still listen to reruns of American Top 40 on satellite radio on the 70s channel and smile every time he says something. Every time he talks, I'm like, it's Casey Kasem. It doesn't matter how long I've had it on. He's not without his controversies, right? He was his A sample of his was released where he was screaming about... <laughs> they used to do a long-distance dedication on American Top 40. Like, I just... Yep. That's how I sort of opened this little piece of the segment here. And it was for a, a little dog named Snuggles. Yeah. And Snuggles died. And the song that he was going into was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by U2... And he got really mad at the crew and yep. he's swearing and screaming at them about coming out of a song about a dog dying into an up-tempo song or coming out of an up-tempo song into a story about a dog dying. And it's really funny. It got sampled yep. by this great art rock band called Negative Land. And they put it out yeah, as a, sorry, they, put it, they put it out as a record and they got sued by U2's record company for <laughs> copyright infringement, even though it didn't have U2's name anywhere on it, but it had segments of the songs interspliced with Casey Kasem's Crazy Town Rant. You can hear it on YouTube if you go type in Casey Kasem. Still haven't found what I'm looking for. You can hear the whole thing. It's super funny. It is because super funny. Casey Kasem was like the nicest man imaginable, and then just listening to him just absolutely loses ever-loving shit. It's really, really... 
Yeah, it'd be like Mr. Rogers telling uh, um, Mr. McFeely to f*** off. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Kangaroo telling Mr. Greenjeans to go play in the traffic, you f***. Uh. Yeah. Uh, moving on to the 28th, currently residing in the Where Are They Now file, a beautiful actress born in 1981, April the 28th, Jessica Alba. Oh, yeah. Probably best known for Into the Blue. I remember not seeing much of her in Fantastic Four movies where she was the invisible girl. That's right. She had the world in front of her, that girl. She had her own television show, Dark Angel, which was popular, and she's a beautiful girl. And then, I don't know what happened. I guess she's got some pretty, like a bad manager or something like that. Because she did a bunch of garbage. They did um, they did a, a remake of the TV show Flipper. She was on that. Oh. I think that was actually before Dark Angel. It's a good thing they don't remake Flipper now. Because it would have to be like dark and gritty. Nobody wants a dark and gritty dolphin. <laughs> She was in that movie Idle Hands. I know that one's got a, a cult following and all that. Right. She was in that movie Honey, which was, I, I think that had something to do with... Bees? Flowers? No. Honey? No, she was like a singer. It was kind of like the uh, Mead. It was the. Um, it was almost like a Mariah Carey biopic, but like it wasn't about oh, Mariah yeah, Carey. Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I, I vaguely remember that coming out and then disappearing yep. from the cinemas quickly. Yeah, and then she did Sin City, right? Yes. And then she did those Fantastic Four movies, and her career hit a wall, like, super fast. She didn't do a lot. and Well, she did do a lot. I mean, she's still very active, but, like, I'm looking at her IMDb, and, like, not only have I not seen any of these movies, I've never heard of them. Well, I don't think anybody came out of the Fantastic Four films really well, except for the guy that did... <laughs> Uh, fan, uh, Human Torch, who went on to be Captain America, right? R yes, absolutely. And, yep. But like Ian Grufford, remember him? No. no. He was Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> Nobody came out of that movie a better person, no. right? You're better off with the, you know, the, the I made this because I own the license and I'm going to get taxed version of Fantastic Four that Roger Corman made in the 80s. Oh, that was wicked funny. It is. All right. Uh, moving on to the 29th. April 29th, 1958, Perpetual Middle Sister, Eve Plum. Known to the world as Jan Brady. Probably best known for I'm Gonna Get You Sucker. <laughs> that movie was very funny, and she was very funny in it. Probably best known for not being in the Brady Bunch Variety Hour. Yeah, basically said, I don't dance, I don't sing, you can't pay me enough yeah. to do this, I'm out of here. And it's not like she made a transition into doing a bunch of TV either. She was like, nope, I'm done. No. And she just vanished. Maybe she was the only one of those kids that was, like, not maladjusted. Right, yeah. So, if we didn't say it clear enough, Eve Plum played Jan Brady on the syndicated TV show, The Brady Bunch. Not a lot much else after that. Right. And, I don't maybe she didn't have to. Like you said, maybe she was the only one that was, like, really, like, well-adjusted. Right. I mean, we've discussed Marsha's problems and... I don't know, maybe Eve Plum was just like, I got enough money to live for the rest of my life. I don't have to do right. much. Shh, I'm yeah. going to Malibu. And yeah. then, you know, had the opportunity to be and I'm going to get you sucker and was like, yeah, this will be funny. I get to be with Clarence Williams III. <laughs> and and that was that. She's also the focus She's also the focus of my favorite Luna Chicks song called Jane Brady, where they just recount things that happened to her on the show. <laughs> and that's really the whole song. It's wicked funny if you can... Go, you can. You can find that one on YouTube as well to check out. Great tune. Now, when they uh, did the variety show version of the Brady Bunch, Eve Plum was like, yeah, no, no thank you. But she has come back for all the, like, Brady reunions. Yep. Like, uh, like the, you know, the holiday specials and this, right. that, and the other. She was actually in a reality show called A Very Brady Renovation where they, like, redid the house. And they brought in all the cast from the Brady Bunch to be a part of it. Oh. She's still semi-active. A lot of, like, one-episode, two-episode stuff. And more, more recently than I can see, she was on... Remember when they did Grease live? You know, sometimes they do those musicals live yes. on TV? Yeah, she was Mrs. Murdoch for Grease Live. Was she in the, the Brady Wives? Wasn't that a spinoff show in, like, the 80s, too? I'm not sure if it was a the Brady a Brides. show. I yeah, think that was a movie. I think that was a, t I think that was a TV movie. I don't yeah. think it was a, a no, TV show. No, seven episodes. 
<laughs> so it didn't it didn't didn't last long. Really, seven episodes. Yeah, and Eve Plum was in it. So, uh, like I said, I mean, we we say you know currently residing in the where do they now file, but I mean she's still working, just not working hard. Right, which is awesome. Good work if you could get it. And then wrapping up the birthdays, uh, April the thirtieth, nineteen forty, American actor Burt Young, probably best known for Amityville Two: The Possession. <laughs> you may know him from such films as Rocky Balboa. Or actually just Rocky, where he played Paul. Or Rocky 2. Or Rocky 2. Rocky 3. Right. Rocky, Rocky 4. 4. What was the one with the robot? Was that Rocky 4? <laughs> it was Rocky it was really 11. Silent Rage. Yep. Uh, also, he was in uh, Rodney Dangerfield's Back to School, remember? Yes, he was, the, he was the bodyguard. Yeah. I don't get mad. Lou gets mad. <laughs> I have two kids. One I put through college. The other I put through a brick wall. Right. <laughs> yeah, yep. put the, right. He was very funny. He was a boxer before he was an actor, which made him perfect for the part as Polly. And you can yep. go find pictures of him when he was boxing in the fifties, and he looks he looks like he could beat the ever loving crap out of anybody who stood near him. Yeah, which is weird because like when I did not know that right, mm-hmm. and I remember whenever they cast him as like the the muscle for Back to School, I always thought that he was kind of a weird choice. But knowing that he's got a background of he'll just murder you. Right. Yeah, I guess that does make sense. Yeah. Yep. And it's just that like quiet voice. Like he sounds like a mob enforcer when he talks. Yep. There's a scene, I think it's Rocky Five, mm-hmm. whenever because Adrian's dead at that point. And Bert Polly is like yelling at Rocky. Yeah. He was like, Yeah, he, she was your wife, but she was my sister. And it's a really like emotional, like, wow. Yeah. Kind he, of a scene, you know? He definitely took a lot of the same kind of roles, but he had a really good amount of range. When he was yep. put into into scenes like that, he was it was heartbreaking to watch him. He's great. Love Burt Young. So yeah, he only did that like one thing, but he was really, really good at it. Unlike the worst song. Ever. Hi, Jeff. Hey. Guess who we're talking about today? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to guess. I already know. He's the Prince yeah. Charming. He's Ant Music. He is. A, he was my favorite rock and roll guy in 1981. He was the. He was, he the, was the dandy highwayman that you're too scared to mention. He was the face of British New Wave for me, and the reason that MTV existed when I was but a child. So yeah. So whenever I was a uh, lowercase one L, my first favorite band was Kiss, like most people in our generation. Mm-hmm. But then da 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 da, the rocket launched in 1981, and MTV hit our cable television. Yes. And there was a rock star, birth name Stuart Goddard. Better known to the world as Adam Ant, lead singer of Adam and the Ants. And by God, they were the coolest freaking bunch of new romantics, I guess the the thing was. They kind of all dressed up in almost like pirate and oh, 18th Native century American weird clothes. Yeah, there was there was something yeah. else. Yeah. They had two drummers, they had this like real like intense sound, and they put out two albums in America, three in the UK, and then they broke up. Right. And then the Adam Ant solo career started. Yes. And and what 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 aspect of Adam Ant's solo career are we discussing today? Is it the Goody Two Shoes era? No. It is not the Goody Two Shoes era, which is a lot it's like not the Adam stri- and the Ants. No. We're talking about uh, an album that came out in 1994. So three years after the Nirvana Comet. Oh, yeah. And the album and title track and lead single and the song we're talking about today is called, ironically enough, Wonderful. So tired of packaging the anger Always pushing you Yes, I do. Did I tell you that I was wrong? I was wrong. Yeah, I love, love Adam and the Ants, and I love Adam Ant's solo career up to and almost including this album. Yeah, this album, which I listened to half of today, is it's a product of its time, I think, and and yeah it definitely shows that there was this seismic transition going on in popular music at the time. And I don't know what the expectation was for it, but 
it's different than what he was doing before. It was a lot it like what a is, lot of yeah. it was a lot like what a lot of people were doing at the time on pop radio for sort of I'm saying this with air quotes now adult contemporary the worst two words yep. to ever hear if you're a music fan it doesn't have anything special is the nicest thing mm-hmm. I can say about this song uh, yeah and that basically goes for the whole album too the, the album never really gets going right backing up into the history of Adam Ant and I'm, I'm still a huge Adam Ant fan I've seen him five times over the last couple of years mm-hmm. even go fly, you know went down to Florida to catch it with uh, one of my friends down there I am a huge Adam Ant fan and I always will be but god damn this song is terrible and it's like he did it live, and we were like, no, don't do that song. Do everything but. Um, <laughs> do like, was it 1969 again, right? That's the other song that was good. Yeah. Uh, he didn't do that one. Um, so after Adam and the Ants broke up, Adam Ant struck out on a solo career, and the, there was a very big musical shift. Adam Ant was trying to make it as a pop star. Mm-hmm. Whenever Adam Ant, he started out in the punk scene in the 70s uh, in the UK. And, you know, that whole like new wave, new romantic sound. And, and like we were saying before with the double drummers, he had his own style. He right. had his own aesthetic. He had his own look. Everything about it was completely him. It was yes. Adam Ant. And then this album comes along, and it's like he's just a peg in a pegboard. He's trying to fit in, and that's not what he was built to do. That is absolutely correct. You know, I listened to, like I said, I listened to the first half of this record today, and it reminded Mm -hmm. me a lot of Robbie Williams. I don't know if you're a Robbie Williams fan at all, but he used to be in a boy band in the transition period from the 80s to the 90s in Britain. He was in a band called Take That. Robbie Williams made a jump into sort of dance and adult contemporary had a couple of really good songs at the turn of the 20th century, specifically the song Millennium, and then he just disappeared. And yeah. when you go back and listen to Robbie Williams' records now, there's like three or four good songs across a span of three or four okay records, and then there's his Take That stuff, which is way better because he's with better yeah. people. But again, it still falls into that same contem- adult contemporary style. It doesn't have an audience. There's no audience for this. I don't know who right. this is meant to appeal to. And like we were saying earlier, uh, before we started recording, you know, in 1994, there was such a seismic shift in the musical landscape. So like the stuff that Adam Ant was known for doing, there was no audience for. Right. And the people that did still like Adam Ant's kind of style of music, me, you, etc., we didn't want to hear Adam Ant try to do this like, you know, emo yeah. St- no. shoegazer music. Yeah. No, not the thing you want Adam Ant to yeah. do. And like the worst part about it is this isn't his worst album. <laughs> well, you wh- would think. You would right? think. I don't know. Well, I mean, let's let's focus on the song in hand, though. Wonderful is. A- do you remember the chewing gum that used to have the stuff in the middle of it that would like squirt in your mouth when you chewed it? Was it Chules or something so, like something that? Something yeah. like that, right? And you, it was it was like the kind of gum your parents would have. You want some gum? Yeah. And it's like, ugh, it's like getting a squirt of mouthwash, right? Freshen up. Freshen, freshen up, up is yeah. that. There it is. Yeah, yeah, freshen up. The song Wonderful is like freshen up gum. For the most part, if it's just chewing gum, it's perfectly fine chewing gum. But it's got that little bit in there that makes it squirt and be terrible. And there's a lyric in here yep. about wanting to punch his girlfriend in the face. <laughs> it makes this song <laughs> awful. It just makes it terrible to listen to and sing along with. Yeah, over, real over, when I nearly hit the face that I loved. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then and then he spends the rest of the song saying about how much he misses her. Like, girlfriend, get away from that. Get away from that guy. <laughs> Two lyrics later, did I tell you you're wonderful, I miss you? This is an abusive relationship, right, Mr. Man. He is yeah. a stalker. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> As I was saying, not his worst album. He put out another album... Like, there was a long time, probably 10 years, where he didn't put out any music. And he was threatening to. <laughs> you would always hear that he had a new album, like, in the works. Yes. New album in the works. New album in the works. So he put out an album nine years after Wonderful called, ready for this? Adam Ant is the, the blue-black hussar marrying the gunner's daughter. That's, Runs, way, more, right that's, that's way more in his idiom than, than this crappy yeah. record is. Right, I remember I bought the album and I put it on and the first song is called Cool Zombie and it's great 
Second song, Stay in the Game, was okay. Third song, title track. And then another song called Vince Taylor, another great song. And then the rest of the album, right? Those are four songs that sound good. The rest of the album, which is like another 10 or 12 songs, is all demo-sounding stuff. Yeah. It's like the production is terrible. It's like, why did you release this? And I know we were all waiting, but I I would better off without it. it. I agree. And I actually felt that way as I was listening to Wonderful Today, to the songs on Wonderful Today, where mm-hmm. it, it never tries to do anything like out of the ordinary. And all of the tracks sound like they are mixed in a super inexpensive studio by people who don't have a ton of ideas. And it, it sounds very demo-ish, too. Yeah, it sounds a lot better than marrying the Gunner's daughter. Adam Ant, uh, whenever I see him in concert now, he always wears large bandanas and, uh, and and big hats because Adam Ant is now a bald, older man. Right. Uh, but he does have long hair coming out of the back of his head. Almost. <laughs> Uh-oh. Almost a mullet, Jeff. Oh. But, he, but he's bald. If he had hair, it would probably be a mullet. Hey, Jeff. We're coming back to our very popular and always well-received trivia question. Ah, yes. A mullet. A mullet is a haircut that is short in the top and short on the sides, but long and flowing in the back. Right. How did it come about getting the name mullet? Where Where does that name for that haircut origi- I don't, uh, I, originate? I don't know how it got applied to a haircut unless it was after some fishing tournament, but I know mullet is also the name for a freshwater fish. Yep. But that's as far as my knowledge, my etymology of mullet goes. Ah. This one actually surprised me. Uh, Well, it surprised me when I first learned it. Uh, I've known about this for a few years. The term mullet was coined by your friend, not mine, but, uh, well, your friend of mine, blah, 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 Mike D of the Beastie Boys. Really? There is a song on their Ill Communication album called Mullet Head, which is a punk rock song. And it is describing a mullet haircut. And that was the first time the term mullet was used to describe such a haircut. Oh. On their 1994 album. So just a year before Wonderful. 1994. Wow. So much for that. Another one in the lose column, Bill. (laughs) All right. So that's going to wrap up the show for this week. We will see you back here in seven days, my fiends. All right. Say goodnight, Jeff. Goodnight, Jeff. Bye, everybody. Bye, guys. Bye, everybody. Hey, thanks for listening to Twibbly, or This Week Was Way Better Last Year. Special thanks to James Coster for our theme music. You can find us and message us on Instagram and Facebook using T-W-W-W-B-L-Y. Make sure you tell all your friends how much you love our podcast. Word of mouth is way, way cheaper than advertising.